the saga continues. Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang. Olympic torch flaming, we burn so sweet. The thrill of victory, the agony defeat. We crush slow, flaming deluxe slow. Poor, judgment day cometh, conquer, it's war. Hello everybody, welcome back to episode 8 of the Throws Chat podcast. With me today is current Garage Strength Throws coach, uh, one half of the tandem duo of Dane Miller, and today we have Trevor Stutzman. Trevor was a three-time All-American, Division Three All-American at, okay, three-time Division Three All-American at Messiah College uh, in Pennsylvania. He went on to graduate and uh, go for his master's at University of Toledo, where he was the throws coach there, and had produced uh, the first athlete to qualify for the NCAA championships in Oregon uh, in how many years in the throws events? Um, I mean, in the history, yeah. In the, in the history of the school, he produced, he helped produce the first athlete to qualify for the NCAA championships in Toledo history for the throws events. Uh, so thank you for coming on today, Trevor. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Trevor, today's, uh, we kind of have a topic going on for today. And uh, the topic uh, that kind of we want to discuss, it might not be like the most, uh, it's not the most joyful topic, but I think it's necessary to talk about um, because a lot of athletes go through it. And a lot of it we're going to be dealing with is the negative mental setbacks that athletes tend to go through. Um, this is something that you and I talked about the last time I was here in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be a great thing to talk about because we both have our own individual experiences uh, going through the sport, having our own setbacks, and you know having to deal with, you know, the fact that sometimes things aren't as easy and even training as hard as you possibly can doesn't necessarily get you out of the funk that you might be feeling in your head. Um, I can say from my own personal experience, it's something I'm still kind of going through. Um, But what we share in common is, you know, we both trained at D3 school. We both have virtually trained alone for a lot of our career. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of like when you went on and when you went on to coaching, then you had to deal with like other athletes um, basically when we kind of, uh, I guess to start things off the way that I have, the way my career path and, and track has kind of been tumultuous. So going from one school, um, moving to another school, losing my coach at the time, and then basically trying to figure things out on my own and then not necessarily seeing the results I would like to in meets and competitions, despite the amount that I'm training, um, I found it difficult to, you know, keep going, but I think what we can probably, you know, talk about is, you know, ways that we've kind of figured out to at least like keep ourselves motivated, you know, uh, continue training and hopefully try new ways to kind of, you know, get out of those funks and, you know, uh, I guess to start off with like, um, how, what was it like training at Messiah? Cause you also had the same thing happen to you. You lost your coach after your sophomore year. Yeah. 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 So what was it yeah. like kind of training on your own and like, cause I feel like that must've been somewhat difficult while at Messiah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So my first two years of at Messiah, I had a coach and he was a, he was a good coach. Um, and then yeah, after, after he left, um, I was on my own for the next two years and I mean, so how it kind of worked for me is I kind of had my sticking point while the coach was still there. My sophomore year was kind of the main sticking point for me. Um, I, I improved like 
a couple centimeters throughout the whole year. Um, most went most of the year without, you know, improving at all. Um, and then my junior and senior year is when I actually, and when I was training on my own and there are kind of a bunch of different factors that kind of went into that. And in, in my opinion, that kind of why I, I started doing better than, um, when I was actually training by myself. Um, and like part of the, part of that too. And I, like, I know you've had ex- different experiences with this too, with like having a, like your training part, who your training partners are yeah. and who your training group is and whether that can have, I, that can have both a positive and negative effect on, you know, how you're training. And I know with, with me, like my kind of really my sophomore years when this developed is that I had a training partner who I came into college throwing further than. And at that point he was throwing, um, my, by our sophomore year, he was ap- absolutely destroying me. And like the, the, the mental impact that that has on you, you know, and like, you feel like you're doing all the same stuff. You're working as hard, just as hard as the other guy. And yet he's just blowing you away. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that all too well. I had the same exact experience. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. What's, what's, what's your approach on like how, how to, how to deal with that? Um, so like with that exact, uh, <laughs> example that you provided, um, Basically, so when I was at my first school, which um, I came in and I started to figure things out. It took me a while, but it was really frustrating when I first got there because I was actually throwing 1650, basically, when I got to my first school in college in 2014. And then by the end of my semester, I was throwing 1460. And I don't think it was any fault of the coach or anything like that. I think it was just the different environment, the different way of coaching and stuff like that. And the fact was, is I had a much older training age than most other athletes coming into college at that time. Um, I was working with Dane for five years by this point. And for the last two and a half years, we've been mainly doing throw specific training. And I think because so many other athletes weren't exposed to that, um, it, it made it easier for when they were exposed to throw specific training in college that their bodies just kind of lit up like a fire, mm-hmm. and they end yeah, up yeah. hitting results that they're that they may not have hit in high school. Which, you know, it's irritating because then you get the you get the idea that oh, well, you're just not as good of an athlete, so your you know ceiling is not going to be as high but you really don't have any scientific proof for that it's just mm-hmm. that's what kind of, that's what hit me mentally about that but when like I was at my first school for a year a new athlete came in and like even though I beat him most like throughout most of the time I was there like I was only there for one more semester which was the fall semester which is when he came in and it was like even though I was beat him every day for like 2 3 months it was like suddenly things start clicking for him and it was just like he just went from throwing like maybe 14 meters to be, you know, 1650 in like, it's just like that. Like you don't understand. I didn't understand how it worked. And basically I didn't get a chance to deal with it in a sense, but um, what I was kind of like was unfortunately everybody's different. And I kind of had to think of it as, cause he ended up throwing really, really well as the spring, the spring semester. And I didn't throw nearly close to what he did. Um, was everyone is different and I have to think of it as I have to focus on what I'm doing because that's the only way I'm going to be better. 
And I know it's really hard, especially with Instagram, because Instagram has basically killed me mentally for the last few years. Because you constantly see how strong someone is, how far someone's throwing, and you're just like, what am I not doing? Yeah. So that that's kind of like for that example, and that I know that's what you ended up doing, because right. the end of your story actually has like a <laughs> actually yeah. a, a, is positive. Well, yeah. So like, I mean, I think there there's a for every athlete, for every high school, especially like yeah. going to college, like there's a learning curve you're gonna have is that you you were a you know a big fish in a small pond, yeah. small pond, and now it's the other way around. Um, and I feel like when you see someone who's way better than you, or either way better than you, just being better than you, or someone who's not as good as you, become better than you, like, to some point you have to understand that, yes, everyone does have a higher, like, a different height of a ceiling. Yeah. And some people are just better than other people, and you have to come with term, to, term, to terms with that. Um, but on the other hand, I feel like, you can almost do that too much and um, really take away from like how you view yourself and that sometimes even though someone's better than you if you make that your identity then you're not going to really you're almost going to kind of kill yourself in the fact that you know you're not going to live up to what you actually could be if you you know really focus on your own training focus on yourself and really just, you know, grind through what you have to do to get better um, in that sense also. And I think something to just point out is, like, there's no magic eyeing, there's no magic eyeglasses that you can put on see, oh, that's that top level, like, that's the farthest that that guy could possibly, like, there's a number yeah. above your head saying, like, yeah. Trevor, you're only ever going to throw 1935. You literally, your body is not capable of throwing any far. Yeah. That is not, I think... No way of knowing. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and that's one of the things, that's like one of the great um, oxymorons like that we kind of have to deal with as athletes is the balance between understanding that you're not Ryan Krauser, but also believing that you can, th- that you can throw as far, like really far and you have to aim for Ryan Krauser. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It, it, it's this weird thing that it's mental gymnastics. The fact mm-hmm. as athletes that we have to do mm-hmm. is because we obviously want to throw far. And the way I train, which I'm not sure if it's the most healthy, but it's un, it's the way I I have always seen myself training is I'm training to want to be one of the best in the world. Mm-hmm. And I know based on my current results and my progression over the last four years, that looks highly unlikely. But it's not going to stray myself from wanting to keep getting better to achieve that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think what it comes down to is, uh, at least for something like specifically this, might come down to the goal setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, it would be unrealistic for me to say, I'm going to throw 20 meters by the end of the year, and if I don't throw 20 meters, then I'm a failure. Right. That is a highly unrealistic yeah. expectation. Yeah. Um, for me right now, maybe down the line, maybe it won't be, but the fact is, I think what we have to focus is like the balance between focusing on the future and focusing on the present. Mm-hmm. And I, I was wondering like, how are you kind of thinking about that when you were, when you would train or even when you're training now? Yeah. Well, so like now when I was a sophomore and this is when I kind of reached a plateau and like, I, I saw myself not throwing as far as my training partner and I kind of almost made 
my identity a bit connected to, you know, comparing myself to him. And that's, you know, that's absolutely not what you should be doing. That's pretty yeah. much the worst thing you yeah. can do. <laughs> um, but I saw myself, I was like, you know, if I throw like 1675 to, to 17 meters, like I'd be good. I could, I could stop throwing like that. Yeah. I'd be so satisfied with that. And like at that point I'd only, my PR was 16 meters. Um, but then after that year, I, I basically, so what, what happened is my coach left, my training partner transferred, um, and I was completely on my own. Um, and basically all that went away. I kind of had a, I didn't really even have an outlook on training. All I wanted to do was train. Yeah. So I didn't, you know, I had no idea how far I was going to throw, didn't know how far I wanted to throw. All I knew was I wanted to train and I, I wanted to be an all American too. That was kind of one of my, you know, driving factors. And basically I just, I don't know, like I almost created training as kind of like a, almost a, a vendetta of sorts. Like I just wanted to train hard for the sake of training hard yeah, and just kind of went out there every day, just like, you know, wanted to train hard knowing it was almost kind of like, you know, it felt kind of cool that like, you know, people don't do this kind of yeah. thing and, you know, it's just fun, you know, and doing it on, on my own too. Um, and kind of, I feel like just the result of that and just that I was very driven at that point was kind of the sole reason I threw that year I threw 1750 and then the next year 18. Um, and then like, you know, I, I had wanted to throw 17 meters. I could have, you know, said to myself, I could quit after that. And then, you know, kind of blew that out of the water. But, um, but I mean, now looking forward, like, I mean, now I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not nearly training as serious as I did in college, but, um, still, you know, kind of, I think training for the sake of training, not necessarily training for a result. I think, like you said, there's a balance between the present and the future and that you need to have goals and you need to see where you, or tell yourself where you want to go, but necessarily making that the end all be all is gonna, you know, isn't, may not pan out for you the best way. And that's something that like, um, I'm still trying to experiment with, which I'll, I'll admit, like, even though I might seem level-headed about the way I try to approach goal setting, in reality, like, when it comes in the moment, sometimes your personal emotions will just take over mm-hmm. and will take over, like, what your logical part of your brain will tell you. And I'm almost wondering if, like, at the point, like, if maybe numbers might be screwing with my head is, like, if I don't – like, so as of right now, I have numbers in my head that I want to hit by the end of the year because I know I'm capable of doing it. But at the same time, I've also had that every other year. And despite the way my training would be going at a certain point in the season, I've never hit those goals uh, in competition. I might have hit them in training, which, you know, at least is better than not doing it at all to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but almost I kind of have to look as maybe the number might be too much. And maybe we'd be like, I want to move like this at this level of speed by this point. Yeah. You know, maybe changing... Because the fact is, even though thro- even though winners and losers and what we're kind of judge ourselves on is based on the actual mark, throwing is still more than that. Mm-hmm. It's a technical sport. It's a sport where there are different ways to improve yourself. And maybe it comes down to if the numbers are hitting you, and this is for anyone listening, if the numbers become bog you down too much, maybe you should focus on in two to three months, I want to be able to throw 
where I can get my left foot down way sooner at the front. And this is for a right-handed thrower. Um, or I want to be able to work double support longer than I've ever had before at my competition meet or like, or at a big meet or towards the end of the season, like maybe focusing on the fact that you need to hit technique, but do it well over the course of a period of time and do it in a competition might translate to those distances that you're looking for without directly setting those distances as the absolute goal. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to, you have, the only thing you can do is what's in your control. Like once the shot put leaves your hand yeah. or the discus or whatever, um, like, you know, you can't make it, you can't tell it how far to go. So yeah. you need to do everything that's in your control to, you know, that you can do. And yeah, and making that, like what you are actually doing, making that part of your goal setting yeah. system. And that's kind of the fact is you have to you have to do in the circle what you need to do to make it go far. Like training does not make the ball go far. Doing things in the circle make the ball go far. I think is like in the moment anyway is kind of like the way you have to look at it. And the fact is everyone can always improve technique. And if you and I think just this is just an avenue that could work for somebody is if you really try to focus on, I want to get these technical cues down, you know, around this period of time, and if I can execute that in competition, then that's a success story. You know, you that was a success um, to me, and that could probably ease your mind a bit better because that's, you've grown, you know. Growing isn't just the distance. Uh, and I think, um, you know, just kind of going along with that, um, what is your experience just in terms of, like, because something I've had an issue with is my competitions have not gone the way I've wanted to. Even though I've tried to do something similar to this, I'm, I'm, I'm working this new way of thinking I just spoke about to improve my training. Um, I, guess, I guess, like, what, what's, what's your thing for people who haven't improved in a long time? Like, people who just haven't thrown farther, even though they keep training... Um, why do you think that might lead to some people like not getting better, even though they are putting their nose to the grindstone every day? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, that's, <laughs> and, there, a, and that's there's a very, question. there's various reasons, but like, <laughs> yeah. I guess what's your experience yeah. with that? Cause I've had my own experience. Like I've gone a year or two without setting a PR, mm -hmm. despite the fact I would still be training over 300 days a year, right, you know? Right. Uh, um, yeah, I mean that's a tough question. I wish I, you know, I wish I had a concrete answer. But yeah. I, and and again, I think like it's different. Whether for there's not an yeah. answer, there's still a kind of almost like in your head, almost like a flow chart, like a decision making process to how you can make, you know, the most of the situation and try your hardest to try and overcome, you know, that plateau or that, you know, whatever you've reached. I think. I mean, I, I mean, I think you gotta kind of look at your whole life, um, you know, in one big picture, like where, like maybe you're doing every possible thing you can in training, but like, look at the rest of your life. Like, are you satisfied with where you are with the rest of your life? Like if you're, if you're kind of feel like you're depressed and, you know, in just everyday life, like there's a good chance that's going to carry over to your training Yeah. or, you know, and, and lots of times it's just things that people don't really realize how much of an effect um, your outside and, you know, social life or whatever carries over to training as well. Like, you know, if you're drinking all the time, you know, and partying all the time, you're probably not going to throw far. And that's a almost dead set reason. Like, you're not going to throw as far as you could otherwise. 
and sometimes you know people will kind of especially when they go to college now I know lots of times it could be getting into college and once you're kind of in college already that you hit a plateau but um, you know um, just partying more you know you're not gonna that could create a a plateau it could be you know maybe you know, something happened in your family and and you might not associate that with training but some major you know family conflict or event could you know could definitely impact your training and it's and maybe you know and that's not really solutions but like trying to find a way to address things outside of training um, and whether that's whether that means you have to go talk to someone whether that means you you know just need to try and fix that situation or um, or change you know the way you approach different parts of your, of your life you know that could have a big impact on you know carries carry a carryover to your training and to your you know how far you throw yeah and I, and I completely agree and and what I like this is like you just kind of touched on like you know family matters something like that if you had a recent like breakup or something like that or just like yeah like you like like if you had like severe social things if things aren't going well at work like that could have a carryover to your training and it's like even though you might be trying to use training as an escape if you're still putting so much focus on training to get better the reality is I think you still need to address things in your own life if you want to see your training get better because, you know, everything connects, at least in my right. opinion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, thro- you know, training can affect, you know, life affects training, but training can also affect life. You know, I've had numerous experiences where I feel like I'd be asked to go out to friends, you know, go out to a friend's place or something like that, but I would decide not to because I just had a ter- I just got back from a terrible meet. You know, and it's like I've I've had it go the other way where my training and competition results have affected my personal life. And I think what I could say after like years of kind of dealing with that, I'm still not great at it. But at least I know, like, I won't blow up in people's faces if, you know, I have a bad day. I know some people can have an issue with that. But if you're if that's kind of the case, what I've done was, um. You know, and it's something, it's a work in progress. Like, I don't have an answer for this. All I can say is I'm at least trying to work through it um, because I know other athletes have experienced similar things. Like, you keep training and for some reason you're not seeing the results you want. Um, is I try to look at, you know, what did I not do and what could I do better? And sometimes it's little things. And a lot of it, uh, unfortunately, in my experiences, can just be a waiting game. Mm-hmm. Is just... Yeah sometimes it'll just pay off. And the fact is you might, this might make you mad because I've gone months, like four to six months periods where just no progress is happening, but then randomly something clicks and then I'll be good for like two months. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of like, you have to value what do you want out of the sport and is the sport worth continuing? Cause in some cases I think some, you know, if it's if it's affecting you to the degree that it is negatively impacting your life so much and you're not able to do anything about it or you feel like you can't, that's where you reach out and maybe like talk to somebody and see if that helps. And or you know, sometimes you know, in some cases, just take a break. Yeah. Like I think that's another thing is I know on Throws Chat we we like to preach, um, you know, putting your nose to the grindstone training as hard as you can, you know, being a beast. We like to promote that. But I think in certain cases, sometimes just having a break from training 
can do somebody good. Yeah. Was, you know, how, what do you what do you think about that? No, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, sometimes that and and it could be like you know if if you had a serious serious family you know conflict too. You know, maybe you just need to take some time off, deal with that get one area of your life right and then you can go back to focusing on training or it can you know and that doesn't have to be the only you know situation either yeah. i think just after a plateau yeah take a break and lots of times if you come back with a fresh mindset i think you can you know turn things around um i think like kind of from like a, a coaching standpoint too I, I, this i know like we've kind of been talking from the uh, perspective of the athlete but yeah. like as as coaches too like I feel like um one of the big and that's actually this is probably one of my biggest criticisms of coaches um um in general is that putting so much blame on the athlete like I hear all the time that coaches talking about their athletes it's like oh they just they just had this one mindset or they you know this is all they ever do like this is you know them 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 everything's what they're doing wrong and like I like and I know I do this also, but like trying to be from, come from the perspective that like there is always something that the coach can do. Like if an athlete isn't performing well, if they're, you know, if they just can't get it done, like it's not just them. Like you can have an impact, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, you will always have an impact. And like lots of times if you're, you know, if you're talking about your athlete in negative light, like that is actually an impact that's negatively influencing them and that if you can actually you know even when they're struggling through something um you know approaching it more than just training too, approaching it from you know their um their social life too like you can have positive a positive influence on that that can um that can turn around their training too like just kind of approaching it from the mindset that there's always something you can do if your athlete's struggling, yeah. not just kind of blame is like, oh, they, you know, they can just never do this right, or they can, you know, they're just not good enough. They're not, you know, they just don't have it. Um, there's always something you can do. And I think that's something like that mindset. I think just comes from a very basic way of looking at things, um, because the fact is there are a lot of screw off athletes in the world, and we always like to, you know, call them out and blah 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 blah. But I think what's important to realize is there are athletes who work really, really hard. Athletes who feel like they're making educated decisions, but still not seeing what they kind of want to see. And I like that you kind of brought that up is like, you know, you know, if there's ways that the coach can help mm-hmm. and that I think it's important because I think some coaches might get caught up in or people might get caught up in, oh, well, if someone's not doing something right, but if someone's not throwing far, if someone's not getting better, it's because they're being stupid about something. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah. you know, in a way, maybe they are, but maybe it's a lot deeper than the way you think it is. Or maybe it's mm-hmm. just, you know, they're, why I think a lot of it is people making educated decisions that just might not be the best decisions for them. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, when you look at it, you think you're making an educated decision, you're trying to do as much research as you can. And this is my experience personally, mm-hmm. is, um, I don't want throwing to run my life in to this point. I can argue, you can argue that basically has, but I guess like from my thing, I've also realized I've made mistakes that probably negative that have negatively impacted my throwing career. But in the moment when I made those decisions, and I'm talking like big life decisions, like moving somewhere, training with someone, you know, whatever, 
um, and then this isn't call out to anyone, but just like making major decisions that I would take a long time to think about and realizing a year later, I shouldn't have made that decision. But in the moment you make those educated decisions and they seem like the most logical thing. It's not until maybe hindsight tells you, man, there may have been a better way. And I think that's something that we, that that should recognize is because I think a lot of, there's some negative energy out, a lot of negative energy out there where people just like call people out. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. You know, there people have gone places, done things for reasons that a, a vast majority of people don't know about. Mm-hmm. You know, you might question, oh, why is this person working with this person? That's stupid. Yeah. If you actually were to talk to that athlete in a legitimate fashion, they might tell you something that's like, oh, wow, that makes perfect sense, at least for the moment. Right, yeah. Uh, and I, I always think, like, and I kind of catch myself sometimes like you get so ingrained in what you're doing that like you make a you make a decision you know you make your decisions educated decisions um and you know in hindsight oftentimes you find out you know they're they might not be the greatest but like a lot of times you just get you just get you know really after you've been in the situation for a while you kind of get um almost tunnel vision into that one path yeah. And I think especially, and this can actually be people outside of the throwing community can mm-hmm. help with this, is that just, you know, explaining your situation and lots of times they'll just see something that's like blatantly obvious that, you know, might not be the best way to go that you've just been completely blinded to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, whatever the situation too is, you know, whether you're at a plateau, whether you're just not satisfied with where you are, like, you know, finding people outside of throwing, kind of explaining your situation asking for advice, you know, lots of times I feel like they can, they can see stuff that, that you're kind of, that you won't be able to see otherwise. So from a coaching perspective, have you ever dealt with like athletes that, um, were having severe mental setbacks and like, if you have like, what were you kind of, what did you kind of do to try like, you know, help, uh, as a coach, like from that perspective? Um, I mean, I feel like kind of the go-to is just, you know, explaining that it's a process, you know, these things are going to take a long time. I mean, I, I, I kind of, I feel like that can be a cop-out <laughs> at some extent, but, like, I mean, on the other hand, you can't, like, when you're, and sometimes, like, you're you're a coach, and, you know, maybe you're completely confident all the time, but, like, for me as a coach, like, there are a lot of times where I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't have 100% confidence in what I'm doing. And now I try to put off to my athletes that I do, because, I don't think they'd, you know, they wouldn't really trust me if I, if I didn't. And that's um, honestly for the mental health of the athlete too. Yeah, no, I think, I think it is. And I think, I think, I definitely think that's for the, I mean, I think you really should do that. Yeah. Um, for, yeah. For because if you're, and this is like it's a, I said, I kind of cover the athlete perspective on this. When you believe your coach like wholeheartedly and will go to the ends of the earth for them, it will make what you're doing feel so much more you know, like it could be the dumbest thing on earth. And I'm not talking about Trevor on whatever he was doing, but your coach could be telling you the dumbest thing on earth. But the fact is, you know, you could talk to any high schooler and talk to a coach who's never actually maybe even thrown before, but they're coaching high school that that high school athlete will believe whatever that coach says. And even though it sounds like the most ludicrous thing possible, that athlete ends up might seeing success 
because they believe so much in what their coach is telling them. And that is making a more enjoyable experience for the athlete. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, because there, because there are athletes out there who, and, and this is another thing, you know, that I've, that I've had to figure out is the balance between edu- educating yourself as an athlete while also being within the lines of what the training you're currently doing is. Because sometimes if you keep looking up on YouTube or going on websites trying to learn about other coaches' methods while you're working with a coach, because you're kind of because you're just see only the you know the surface level of what other people are doing, you think, oh it's different. We should be doing this. I'd rather do this than what we're currently doing now. That can also negatively impact you as an athlete. And this is something I'd, I'd like to warn athletes about is it's great to learn, but understand where you're at and understand that if you want to make yourself do, do the best possible thing, in certain cases, not all, it, it might be best just to kind of just leave it alone, learn about it, but don't take it as absolute Bible stuff that you need to change what you're doing now to suit this uh, narrative that you created in your head that the grass is always greener yeah. because that will, that will get you. Yeah. And I, I think, I think for sure. And this just goes for training in, in general that like, you know, just having a good coach athlete relationship. And like, I mean, when it comes to plateaus, like this kind of goes back to your question. Like, I think, I think the best way to deal with plateaus and setbacks is that the coach and the athlete are in the fire together. Yeah. That like, it's not one person is not the athlete just can't do it, but I've been doing everything perfectly right as a coach and you know, it's all your fault, but that everything's in there that you're explaining to the athlete. If you're the coach that, you know, these are the steps I'm taking to try and, you know, resolve the situation to try and make you better. Like, this is my approach. Explain what your approach is, you know, talk to it together and say like, this is how we're going to overcome this. And then, you know, if that fails, then you come up with another approach. You know, it's the best that you can do. It, but if it's all one-sided, if it's absolutely one-sided, you know, I, I feel like that's where a disconnect can come and the athlete starts, can start doubting, you know, maybe the, and the coach starts distancing themselves possibly. Um, but I think just, and that doesn't necessarily mean that the athlete should be, you know, you know, have a bunch of input on what they're doing. I think, you know, having the coach be the, I mean, definitely having the coach, you know, say what the athlete should be doing, but that there, there's at least communication there that this yeah. is the d- direction that they should be going. Um, but something, something that I'd also like to add though, maybe we didn't get into yet. It's, it's an incredibly basic form of logic. Sometimes just having fun, <laughs> you know, can do a lot, nah. you know, um, isn't fun. yeah, but a lot of times, and this could come from, you know, coaches coming up with ideas. This could come from the athlete trying to do something, just finding ways to make training and especially competition fun. Because mm-hmm. sometimes we just, a lot of times actually, you know, people put a lot of pressure on themselves and if you're constantly putting like hard nose training and it's like, yes, you're trying to get better, you're improving your technique, you're getting stronger in the weight room, you're moving faster, that's all great and fun, great and good. But it's like if it, and I understand to a certain degree, especially when you're at that professional level, 
and you need to balance your time. You need to approach it like work. But the fact is, if you're not having, if they're not having some level of fun or doing something to lighten the atmosphere every so often, it can get really, really hard to keep moving. It can be really hard to will yourself to keep training because even if you are doing what you can work-wise, if there's just not that atmosphere of like, man, I really want to go out and do this because I have a fun time. And, and I don't know like what you do with your athletes, but what I notice when I come to garage strength is a lot of the high schoolers, even though they are working hard, uh, and this even goes along with uh, the elite athletes <laughs> that I see here, it's like there's always a levity to training. There's a training, there's that zone of training hard to get results, but also that levity zone where you can make jokes and like yeah. what what do you wh- how do you kind of conduct a training session to kind of balance that levity with the uh, you know balls to the wall training? Yeah, um, I mean I think I mean obviously there's always a balance, but like um, I think I think in general like if you're if you enjoy practice, you're probably gonna have a a successful you know training session. Like if you're enjoying being there, if you don't enjoy being there, you're probably not gonna have a good session, and so making it, and you know, you could enjoy being there because you know you're getting better too and that you're training hard and it doesn't have to be like a light, um, you know, joking environment to make it fun. Um, but you think it's helped sometimes? I think it does. And I mean, you know, I've been coaching high schoolers for a while and, and that's, I think especially with high schoolers, you know, they're not going to be, you know, just like grinded and out, you know, grinding out training and being serious all the time. Like high schoolers are going to want to have fun. And I kind of, I I, kind of running that balance and, you know, they start talking too much, just, you know, telling them to focus more. And, um, but I do like to, for sure, let them have a little bit more leeway with just like joking around and having fun just because, I mean, in general, like, especially we're running a business here. Like if they, if they're not enjoying coming here, they're just not going to come. Yeah. And then we don't get business now in a college, you know, setting that's different because they have to be there. Um, and they're definitely, you know, practice has to be more serious, but at the same time, you know, and you kind of have to judge like what the athletes are like, if they, you know, if they can be the athlete, like someone like you, I think that can really grind out training and doesn't have to be, you know, joking around all the time and, but you're still going to show up, you're still going to work hard. Um, I think, you know, you can definitely run a more serious, um, practice, but you know, some people, they, they need that kind of, um, social motivation, you know, um, and just like they need to have be in a light situation where they can, you know, both have fun and train hard. Um, and kind of, yeah, just kind of running that balance. So but I, I, don't, I really don't like, I mean, I think I really don't like just like just yelling and screaming to like focus and like, you know, just going all out as a coach. Like, I just don't think that really has any benefit whatsoever when it actually comes down to, to getting them to throw far. I mean, now also I've never run in a situation possibly where that's absolutely necessary. And, you know, I'm sure there probably is, but. I can say as an athlete, I definitely appreciate that just because uh, I've never been a fan of the loud screaming coach. Um, even though Dane kind of yelled a lot when I was in high school, there was always that like level of calmness to things, or it's like it wasn't they, a lasting. Yeah, it wasn't a lasting or per, very personal. personal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 and it's like it, it wasn't like all the time. Yeah. Um, 
But I, I also got to thank you just what you say about, you know, the way I train. But I can tell you that, and I know I'm an oddity in this, in, in, in maybe some of our listeners. I'm someone who did college track for like a year or two, still am in college, train on my own, do a lot of things on my own, and I understand that's an oddity. But what I can tell you is it's really nice, though, and as much as I know I need to train the way I do in order to get better because I am on my own, it is always nice to have those training sessions or be around people that can lighten the mood. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Because even for someone who does train hard all the time, it bogs me down. And that's what I'm kind of like saying with the whole point of this episode mm-hmm. is it's bogged me down to a certain degree that, yes, I can, I know how to try and get the work done, but I also need to remember, remember half the time it's like, you're doing this because you like to do this. You're not just doing this because you feel like you need to. Yeah, <laughs> and that's something that I feel like, uh, while it is a minority of the population in, in the sport, I think it's it, it's still there with a lot of athletes. You know what I mean? Especially the post collegiates, because mm-hmm. and I would consider myself a pure fringe athlete. Um, I could stop anytime I want, and no one would care. <laughs> and the fact is, I'm only doing it because I want to do it and get better. And I always, and I'll lose back to that, that sometimes I think I take it so seriously that it can negatively impact me. It's just like, man, if I, if I quit tomorrow, no one's going to care. And then I'll even, but I'll take that the wrong way. (laughs) But if that's the case, that's where I need to just, okay, let's go out and just have a fun session. And that's why I like coming out here and having the training partners because someone like Sam, Noah, Luke, Mm -hmm. you know, the guys at Garage Strength, what they bring is a very, you know, they bring a lot of levity to a training session. Whether or not that gets on your and Dane's nerves half the time is I think it's kind of nice to be around some people like that because they will, like, you know, liven up the thing and, like, you know, help me crack a smile once in a while. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, mean, that's the whole thing. Like, I know, and that's that's the thing, like, really we should be training because it's a, like, it's a hobby and it's fun. It's a sport and sports are fun. Yeah. at least I hope so, and like uh, you know, at, at in a lot of college situations though, it turns into you know, especially with the pressure of being on scholarship and everything like that, it, it turns into more of a job, especially you know at the higher levels, and, um, and it still can be a but, job, but even right. at, even in work, you can have days yeah, and, of and relaxed just, fun at work. Right. And if you're and it's just, yeah, it's the same thing. If you're going into work and it's just a miserable environment, <laughs> no one's having you know, no one's having any fun whatsoever it's stressful and you know the boss is a jerk like (laughs) you know you're probably not going to have very productive work but if it's a you know if it's a fun enough environment that you know you can be productive without being without losing focus to what you're actually doing and the boss is encouraging and you know gives you constructive you know criticism and you know everything um i think it'll be a good situation yeah, no, I, I like that. I think I, I think what we kind of want, yeah, as we're wrapping up here, is just kind of like reiterate that like training, like just because you're training hard and does it, and you're not seeing results, like you know you, there are ways to try to figure them out. We're not gonna, we're not offering necessarily absolute solutions because everyone is different. But if anything, you know. Maybe just looking at the situation differently, trying to have more fun, trying to take care of your personal life, taking breaks, 
all of these different ways can maybe help some people who are on that fringe status that, you know, want to give it up, but they know, and I'm this way half the time, it's like, you know, you, you know, you can give it up, but you don't want to, but you Mm -hmm. also want to enjoy yourself. So I'm Mm -hmm. hoping that some of this kind of helps. And, and something I just kind of want to reiterate, if, if you're actually getting to the degree for, for any listener out there, if you're to the degree that where you actually think your sport, your sporting career is negatively impacting a lot of facets of your life and you've tried all these things and it's not working and you really feel like you just need someone to talk to, you know, this is where you're getting to the level where, you know, things might be beyond just a simple coach athlete fix. And I would at least recommend at the very least, talk to your coaches, communicate how you're feeling, you know, communicate that you just want to, you know, whatever you think you could do to improve but even if you're even at that worst level, if it's if you feel like you are having signs of like clear signs of depression, or you notice an athlete who is having clear signs of depression, please go out and reach out to someone. Whether if you're in college and you can reach out to a counselor, or if you can talk to you know reach out to someone who's a friend, uh, reach out via hotline. I highly recommend to do so because you know. We want people to have, you know, the sport is meant to be fun. And the, the bottom line is we do it because we love it. And if there's a way that, you know, some of our, you know, tips today could have helped you, you know, we, we're really happy about that. Um, and before I close out, I definitely need to uh, have Trevor promote all of his shit, uh, plug his shit, because I know Dane will get mad at him if he doesn't, and he has a lot of stuff to plug. So where can people find Trevor Stutzman and all of his glorious branding? Um, well, I mean, my Instagram's Trey Stutz, but um, but more importantly, um, Throws University. Follow Throws University. We've got a lot of good stuff going on there. And that's Instagram. Uh, yeah, on Instagram. Um uh, we just came out with a new book, Kinetic Comprehension. Um, if you you can go to garagestrength.com to purchase that, but it's basically just a, a simple breakdown of like some of the biomechanics in the throw, and I like to think there's a lot of good stuff in there. So just kind of like a simple handbook. It's not anything too in depth, but it's a good handbook on the biomechanics and technique. So. Awesome, Trevor. I thank you for coming on today. I hope to have you on again sometime. Thanks a lot, Jason. Thank you. Saga continues. Wu Tang, Wu Tang. Olympic torch flaming. We burn so sweet. The thrill of victory. The agony defeat. We crush slow. Flaming deluxe slow. Poor. Judgment day cometh. Conquer. It's war.